This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, the bi-weekly advice-focused New York to Workings Eberakum. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Hey, Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. I haven't heard the word Eberakum before. No. What is that? <laughs> You know, I can't say that I've really said it before, being from the other side of the Pennines myself, but Eberakum was the Roman name for the city of York. Oh. And so, yeah, so you see what I'm doing there? You see that there? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Little bit high concept. (laughs) That's what we pride ourselves on in this show. Absolutely. Okay, so I did have another question, though, which is, what is the topic for today? So today, actually, I want to pick your brains about something that you did about a year ago Mm. and I am about to do in the next few weeks, Mm -hmm. which is move to a different city. I think that moving is one of the most stressful and hard things that we go through. (laughs) Absolutely. And yet it's also one of the least kind of written about or, you know, there are very few movies about moving. I don't know. (laughs) But I think there are also some very specific challenges for creative people. And Mm -hmm. so this episode of Working Overtime provides me with a perfect excuse to learn from your experience. (laughs) So if you're willing, please tell me about your move. Where did you go from and where did you go to and how has it gone creatively? So I moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles and it's been okay so far. Honestly, I feel like the tough thing has been setting up a routine, which is something that we talk a lot about on the show, particularly because I'm working with a writing partner and we also have our own projects to work on outside of our work together that actually like pay the bills, (laughs) which oftentimes more speculative writing, I guess is the way to put it, doesn't. Mm -hmm. But that's how you like build up your portfolio to get the jobs that will pay you. So it's just the same kind of deal as freelancing under almost any other circumstances. So I'm interested about how you came to be moving to LA. Mm -hmm. Did you already know people there? Did you already have writing contacts? I mean, obviously, along with New York, it's the other American city that has, you know, a number of jobs for writers. Mm -hmm. How much of a factor was that in your move? The big thing that kind of spurred us to move to L.A. was we got a manager a while ago while we were still in New York. And as we were talking to him and also to in the general meetings that he set up for us, a question that we would just always hear was, have you guys considered moving to L.A.? And we heard (laughs) it so many times that we were sort of like it seems like we have to go and should just kind of commit to moving. As far as knowing people in L.A., I knew people here basically from social media, I had maybe one or two people that I'd met before in person that I Mm -hmm. knew in LA, but I wouldn't necessarily call them writing contacts. Like they were more, it was more just like having friends out here already. All of that makes a lot of sense to me. I have to say that in my particular move, work is less of a factor. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to break into anything new. I am a good number of years older than you. I I'm kind of in a maintenance phase of my career, like Mm -hmm. podcasting, writing the book I've contracted for, Mm -hmm. hopefully another one after that. Like that's kind of what I'm, well, you know, maybe, who knows? But I'm not looking to like do something new. So I didn't choose Edinburgh, Scotland, which is 
our new home because of its creative infrastructure. But Mm -hmm. I also think that even introverts like me, uh, you know, we like to have some kind of support system in place. And Mm -hmm. it isn't always obvious what you need or what you're going to need. Yeah. One thing that has been on my list of things a new city needed to have was good bookstores and libraries, Mm -hmm. just because bookstores are great places to get ideas and just Mm -hmm. to feel like you belong in a tradition, you know, every every author who's represented in there is a colleague mm-hmm. in a certain way. <laughs> uh, and libraries, well, you know, we all need to look at books we don't own sometimes. And they're also a great alternative workplace when yeah. the internet goes down or, you know, your neighbor has a bagpipes lesson. So yeah. <laughs> what was on your must-have list? I mean, we've sort of discussed this, but we did move yeah. here because it's so central to the film and TV industry. But more broadly speaking... I do feel like the Venn diagram of something that I feel I need just in my life versus what I feel I need creatively is a pretty solid overlap. Yeah. Um, Like the things that I really want in a place, I guess, very broadly summed up as a healthy art scene. I love going to museums. I love going to concerts. I love going to see movies. I love going to cool restaurants. And all those things are kind of part and parcel where it's just like finding something outside of your home that is artistic stimuli in some sense or will help you kind of form a sense of community in that space. Yes. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this. Hey, listeners, do you have any tips about finding a creative community or anything else for that matter? Get in touch and share your advice. You can email us at working at slate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK. All right, we're back. Karen, to what extent do you think that it's important or necessary to be around creative people in your own field. Like, obviously, as we've said, LA is a very specific thing, mm-hmm. the TV and movies. And, you know, say you were working on a TV show mm-hmm. when you're in a writer's room, like that's the ultimate situation around other creatives. But like, while you've been writing your book about Bong Joon-ho, mm-hmm. which is pretty much a solo project, to what extent have you felt that you've been part of a team of creative people? It's really varied. And I, I feel like it's not a question I'll admit that I've really given any thought to, like outside of the space, obviously, mm-hmm. um, just because I feel like I've had a good support system just in my normal life. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think it's healthy to have that kind of community, even if you're not working directly with these people. It's really nice to have friends or colleagues who understand any given problem that you're going through and have their own experiences to draw on when it comes to offering advice. Maybe like you're working on a pitch deck for the first <laughs> time. Maybe someone you know will have some advice or an example for you to look at like they'll share a pitch deck that they've made before with you just to give you an example of what it sort of should look like that said it's sort of like building a relationship with a therapist and then having to find a new therapist, right? Where it's like, this person already has a lot of context for me. And that's sort of how I feel about finding friends in your field, where they already have a lot of context for what you're going through. And you don't need to start from square one and explain like, well, green lighting a show means this, and then you (laughs) have to do that. And then I'm in this part of the process. Like you don't start from scratch with that. So it is nice to have those people, but I will say it is also sometimes important to find people outside of your field just so that you don't 
put yourself in too much of a bubble. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really good advice. So what did you do to find a creative community? I've been really, really lucky in that I feel like I didn't have to try that hard and that it happened pretty organically. Like I mentioned that I knew some people from social media in L.A. uh, prior to moving. And those people have become real life friends for me, like just because we already had this kind of like pre-existing connection. And I could reach out, even if it is somewhat awkwardly and be like, hey, like I live in L.A. now if you want (laughs) to hang out like anytime you want. That said, once you start kind of opening up that network, even if it is just other friends like once you meet those friends you'll get invited to their parties and you'll meet their friends and then you'll hang out with those other friends and then meet or for other friends it's really like just a big family tree I guess, yeah, sort yeah. Of, of of friendship networks it's sort of like making friends at college almost where like you you find someone that you really vibe with in one of your classes and then you find out the other people that they're hanging out with and it just grows from there Um, I am really sorry that so much of my advice is like Twitter based, but it really was a huge tool for me and I recommend it. Well, I don't know if I would say recommend it, but there are ways to use it well and in a way that like feels good for you. Yeah. I mean, yes, it is. It obviously is many times Mm -hmm. uh, an absolute hellscape. At the other, it's incredibly useful for writers, especially Mm -hmm. people on the kind of journalistic side of writing. I think of Twitter in 2022. It's like the senior common room at an Oxford college <laughs> in 1952, only without like the classism and sexism, you know. It's our meeting place. It's a place you can show mm-hmm. off. You can start fights. You can make friends. <laughs> and, you know, if you can't stand the tweets, you might need to stay out of the kitchen. Yeah, it is important to note there are other ways of forming community. It was just this was what worked for me. Good advice. And what about maintaining connections with your East Coast writing community? I mean, I, I understand that, like, I think nowadays any big move, you know, I'm like my uncle emigrated when I was a kid and we mm. never saw or heard from him, you know, except for, <laughs> you know, airmail letters, you know, like once every couple mm-hmm. of months. like, And that mm-hmm. was normal. Now, of course, the world is much more connected. We can yeah. be in touch so much easier. But still, you know, when you leave and you travel 3,000 miles, which seems to be about, you know, the amount that we both either have moved or are moving, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you're not going to be running into people on the street anymore, which mm-hmm. in New York you do all the time. Yeah, it's really uh, nice and I miss it a lot. Yeah. And so have you done anything to, you know, remind the people you used to run into at screenings or gigs that you're still alive and available for work, at least when your book is done and you're back on that bullshit? Well, it's been kind of tough because the things that I've been working on out here or like the kind of career path that I'm trying to transition into doesn't have that much to do with my previous life, Mm -hmm. as it were. Mm -hmm. But the people that I was friendly with, I still text and chat with them. So it's not like I've just cut a significant portion of my friends out of my life forever. It is trickier (laughs) on a professional front because I've done full-time freelancing before and it really isn't the kind of thing that leaves you a lot of time to do anything else, Yeah, um, which is what I need in order to keep working on screenwriting. That said, I'm not totally ruling out doing like film criticism or culture essays again. I think if anything, 
I might let some of my editor friends know, slash they already know that I'm available <laughs> to write if they think of something that they think I'm good for. But I don't know if I necessarily go back to pitching or trying to do this full time because, again, yeah. it's not the career path that I'm looking for. But I've been very lucky that I have some friends who like still think of me for things. And I had a, I've had some really cool assignments come my way recently. Like I got to write the booklet essay for the Criterion Okja release. And that was oh like my goodness. huge for me. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's so cool. All right. We'll be back after this. Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you're enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to rate or review the show. I know it seems weird, but it really does help new listeners find us. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit that star icon to help recommend the episode to others. All right, we're back talking about moving as a creative person. Karen, one of the more basic parts of a move is literally moving all your possessions from (laughs) one location to another. And I'm looking forward, I have to admit, to having another shot at setting up my desk in the perfect way. You You have to share a picture when you do of what your new workspace is like. Yeah, you know, I have to also admit here that one of my favorite YouTube genres is Mm -hmm. the desk setup, even though I fear that some people just spend so much money just to get a cool (laughs) desk setup. But But sometimes if you have the money and that is what's going to help you concentrate or write better, then great. (laughs) I know, really. And if it means that you spend that money on the chair that's going to give you a better back, do it. Yes. But anyway, a move is an opportunity to shed possessions that aren't sparking joy anymore or, you know, just to try something different. So Mm -hmm. how did you approach this? I should know also that you moved in the middle of a book writing project. Yeah, When you got to your new home, were there things you knew you needed to set up in a different way? Or did you just kind of want to keep everything just the same as it was in Brooklyn? First of all, I have to confess that I'm a bit of a hoarder, which same, is maybe uh, an under-exaggeration. <laughs> I have a really hard time throwing things away, and I definitely did not do as much inventory clearing as I could have with my move. That said, I really did want to set up a better kind of dedicated space for mm-hmm. my working, as you can see behind me on my screen, but unfortunately our listeners can't. <laughs> well, I set my new desk up with the intention of being like, I'm going to write my book so good at this new <laughs> desk on my bigger monitor. But maybe it was just because I started writing my book on my laptop that I I really did just finish writing it on my laptop, like either on the couch or sitting on at my kitchen table. Oh, so, wow. it, <laughs> so the setup has kind of failed. But I keep telling myself maybe that now I'm done with the book, I will really commit to my desk setup. And we'll see, I guess. Maybe I just need to force myself to sit there more often. <laughs> so... You kind of mentioned this earlier, but Mm -hmm. when you moved, did you change anything about your creative schedule? I know you talked about like, you know, working with your writing partner in the morning, all of that. Mm -hmm. But I guess what I'm really wondering about is the time difference. Not so much like Mm -hmm. whether you work in the morning and that part, but like just you're on the West Coast, but having to just kind of be aware of what's happening three hours earlier in the day. Like, and and I don't mean this as a criticism because actually, you know, you and I, are currently we're we're, I'm actually in Edinburgh now you're Mm -hmm. in LA so we are eight hours apart and so 
it makes sense that we think of things in terms of the East Coast, especially because our producers, Kevin Bendis and Cameron mm-hmm. Drews, are there. So living on the West Coast, you're typically doing slate things in your morning hours, while mm-hmm. I'll be mostly taping working in the evening, which mm-hmm. I'm sure will require <laughs> some adjustments. So any yeah. tips there? Oh, man. I think the main consideration that I usually take into account with regard to time zones is when I send emails, basically. Uh Um, It is very important that as soon as I log on at my 9 o'clock a.m. that I get the emails out of the way, especially for East Coast people, because they're just not going to be logged on as long as I am. Because when I end my day at 5, it's going to be 8 o'clock for them. They're not going to be checking their emails. Hopefully. I really, really hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's been a little tough, too, because one One of my editors for my book is in New York and another one is in London. So that requires some extra time zone matching. And I, I do try to be extra conscious of that. Or like it's even more important for me to send my emails earlier for him because he's even further ahead yeah. question yeah. mark anyway yeah. <laughs> um and also with some of the interviews that i had to set up for my book a lot of the talent that i talked to is based in korea which uh, is an even harder time zone to coordinate yes, with so yes. i just had to give it up and record in my evening time or my quote-unquote like off work hours yeah and they would be recording first thing in the morning which is also really really nice of them to do um so it depends on who you're working with For instance, if you're working with people on the West Coast, then you don't need to think about it at all. But it's definitely like just making sure that all the communication happens when it needs to or when it can happen. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really good advice. Okay, so your time zone talk has helped me realize that one thing that that will really help me Mm -hmm. with my move is to set up a clock so that I can see what time it is in New York, maybe also in LA, just by kind of mm-hmm. looking up, just to have that right in front of me. Yeah, that's a cute desk accessory. <laughs> right, <laughs> I know. Somebody make one of those. Do you have any move-related regrets, things you mm. abandoned that you later wished you still had, or a particularly good setup that you had to leave behind? Basically, tell me all your mistakes <laughs> so I can avoid making them myself. Honestly, I feel like the big mistakes that you'll feel like you made when you move will almost never be work-related and Mm. will always just be personal slash people related because if anything I really wish that I'd had more time to say goodbye to people before Mm. moving because I definitely didn't get to see everyone that I wanted to before making the jump and then you just can never (laughs) you won't see them for a while after that it sucks yeah um creative stuff is intangible so you can kind of do it wherever you are but people aren't so that's really the big thing I guess my advice is make sure you give yourself a long lead up or a long window mm. before leaving. So you make sure you get in all the stuff you want to do before you go. Oof, that's tricky. That's a sad answer. <laughs> I know it is. I know because I already know that like, oh, that's probably, I'm probably not going to get enough time for yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Last question, just to go out on a silly note maybe, but I swear this is a thing mm-hmm. I think about most since I moved from the West Coast. So I Mm. moved from Seattle to New York in 2005, a year Mm. before Twitter was founded. But I feel like Twitter changed the East Coast, West Coast dynamic. Mm. Um, Post Twitter, whenever I'm on the West Coast, I feel like everything has already happened by the time I get up, (laughs) no matter how early I wake up. Like Twitter has its own clock, you know? Mm -hmm. If you were awake for 24 hours, you'd see the Japan tweets, the Aussie tweets, then the British tweets, then the East Coast tweets, then the West Coast tweets. Like, (laughs) as a relatively new West Coaster, has that been an issue for you? 
not for most of the day, but I really feel it later at night because that's oh. usually when I really want to be shit posting or uh. joking around <laughs> with my friends. Yeah. But then all my East Coast friends are asleep and like no one is posting. And I'm like, why, why am I talking to myself? Uh. But I also have to take it into account when I post anything that I want to get shared more widely. For instance, I want to post it late enough in the day that West Coasters will be up and about. But I also want to post it early enough so that the East Coasters aren't already logged off or in their post-lunch slump or whatever. Yes. <laughs> but that's a very kind of, I guess, sort of shallow concern. No, that's not shallow. That is very practical. <laughs> practical is good. Everyone, please share and retweet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Be kind. Rewind your West Coast tweets. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode, but whether you're moving or staying in place, you should definitely put working on your schedule. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have ideas for things we could do better or questions you'd like us to address, we really want to hear from you. You can send us an email at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. Big thanks to producers Kevin Bendis and Cameron Drews. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working. And in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work. Work.